Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God. this is your first time at River City, I just want to welcome you and thank you for coming. Um, we love having new people. We love having people find out about us through whatever way they do. There are first-timer cards in every seat back that we would love for you guys to fill out. It gives us a way to keep in touch with you. Um, I'm just really glad that everyone is here. It's another great Sunday morning here at River City, um, just to experience the Lord, to worship together, to hear spoken word from Bill which I'm very excited about. I feel like I always miss him when he speaks, so I'm glad I, I'm, glad I'm gonna be here for that. Um, but yeah, we're gonna read Psalm 99, and we're gonna pray. We're gonna get right into worship um, and just allow the Lord to move in that way. All right. And this is out of the ESV. It'll be on the screen, too. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he, the king in his might loves justice. And you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord, and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud, he spoke to them, and they kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord, our God, and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord, our God, is holy. God, I just thank you for being here. I thank you that we don't have to conjure up your presence, that we don't have to do something to make you appear that you already are here, that you're wanting to speak. God, that you're, you're wanting to hear our praise. So I just ask that as we enter into worship, that our hearts would be pure, that our minds would be clear, that we would be focused on this moment, on who you are, on who you've called us to be, and on what you have for us this morning. So I just ask that as we enter in, God, that every heart would be engaged, 
and that you would just bless Bill as he speaks this morning. Jesus, as we grab hands, this is heaven touching earth. And for every person here who feels alone, may this be a reminder that they are not alone. A tangible reminder that you are here. Emmanuel, you are with us. And Lord, as we bind together of one heart and in one mind, let us remember that the church is us. That we are the church. That this people, these people, this body are the agents of your kingdom, our gospel heralds. And as we might be distracted daily by the things of this world and our culture and even Christian culture, that above all else, there is your kingdom of love. So let us be reminded this morning of who we are as your family. And as we grab hands with each other, let's be reminded of the walls that daily we need to practice, allowing your spirit to tear down our own walls of insecurity, walls of gender and race and socioeconomic class, that we as heralds of the kingdom choose to tear down daily so that we might remind a people who are lost and alone that they are not alone, that there is a good, good father. So we declare it to each other in this tangible way. We are your children. We are your beloved. We are the family of God. Make us brave. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to welcome Bill up. He doesn't have much. Give him some space. Let him preach, okay? Let him preach. He's behind me. Let me preach. That's funny. Um, whoa. All right. First, I want to, uh, we're, this is Scotland Sunday, so we're going to be talking a little bit about our trip. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, a couple weeks ago we got back from uh, is that going to ring the whole time? Um, Ten days, essentially, in Scotland, um, working at a youth camp. And this is something that the network's been participating in for 11 years. This is our 11th camp. Um, it's the third year River City sent a team um, for that. Um, and we essentially helped this church outside of Glasgow put together a, a, a youth camp for their students, middle school to high school age. Um, and we, we send over our people now. At the, the beginning of this trip, we sent over stuff and people. Um, but they have participated, as, as the camp has gone on over the years, they've taken on more responsibility, gotten more buy-in from their people to do a lot of the heavy lifting. And we just provide sort of support. Um, so we've, are the people, our team uh, provided, you know, counselor responsibilities. Um, some of us spoke in the morning Josh and Sarah spoke at night. Um, there are a variety of things we talked about with them um, throughout the week. We, talked, we covered topics like uh, speaking truth into the lies we believe about ourselves. We hear from other people about us that we believe. Um, identity, belonging, worthiness, the Holy Spirit, um, community. Um, there were carabiners. We brought that over. 
um, to, you know, just to talk about the power of encouragement. Um, so it's been, it's been good. And we're actually having, we're beginning conversations with them about bringing, they want to bring a team of their students over um, for us to kind of shepherd through a, a mission trip of their own. So that's in the beginning stages, but um, we're excited about that, and they're excited about that. I've said this a couple times, but one of the things I like about do- leading this trip is introducing this church community and this nation of Scotland to more people. Um, I remember initially when I started going on this trip, people were like, Scotland, really? That's a mission trip? Um, but I've seen over the years, as those young kids in 2008, 2009, aged up, finished school, went to university, and are volunteering as camp assistants and counselors, and student interns at Riverstone Summer Program, um, all this different stuff that they're, they're exposing themselves to, they are exposed to, and the, the way their, their spiritual lives have grown and deepened. It's been a, amazing to be a part of. So um, if you have any other questions about it, please don't hesitate to ask me. Um, be glad, or anybody on our, on our team, they would be more than happy to sit down with you for hours upon hours to talk about it. Um, all right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for who you are, for your faithfulness to us, to the nations. Um, You are the same God here. You are the same God across the oceans. Um, And we thank you that we get these opportunities from time to time to participate in all of that with you. Um, Lord, I thank you for the message you've given me to share this morning. Um, I pray that uh, I would share your words and not mine. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So, home, that was our camp theme. That may look familiar to some of you that have been here a while. It was originally part of um, a couple of messages we did here um, at the beginning of this year. Is that right? January this year? Um, and we sort of adapted it to, to this. And like Nate says, there are some things you simplify for younger students, folks that are newer in their walk. Um, so we did do some of that. But our camp theme verse was John fifteen nine out of the message. I've loved you the way my father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. All right, make yourself at home. Okay, that's an expression of hospitality, right? Whenever we have people stay with us um, over the years, it's something we always tell them. Make yourself at home, right? Our house is your house. If you need something, go to the fridge and grab it. Go to the cabinet and grab it. Uh, Feel free, do whatever you want. It's okay. But we often find that people don't take us up on that, right? They kind of, huh, I don't know, this is different. What's in their fridge? That's not the milk I use. Whatever the case may be, right? So they don't need or ask for something. Now, I understand why that might be common for a friend or a stranger, right, who might not believe us that we're saying, yes, it's open to you. Do whatever you want. Um, But have you ever felt that way with your family? Okay? It can get awkward quickly. Um, If you haven't experienced it with your family, wait until you have in-laws. So this morning we're going to talk about a couple of brothers who had a hard time making themselves at home in their own home. All right, so let's jump over to Luke 15, starting at verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, 
who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Okay, before we look more closely at this story, let's ask one important question. Why did Luke include this story in his gospel about Jesus and put it here in chapter 15? Well, to answer that question, let's look at the beginning of chapter 15, starting in verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told, told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls all his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So the tax collectors and the sinners, sinners were gathered around to hear Jesus. They were drawn to him because there was something he was teaching that was different from what they'd heard their whole lives. Something was drawing them in. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering right, about it. But why? First off, let's look at the tax collectors. They were Jews who collected taxes for Rome. They were working for the nation that was oppressing the Jewish people. Jews had endured centuries and centuries of oppression after oppression over the course of their history. Assyrians, Egyptians, Babylonians. And at the time, nothing had changed really except that now the Romans were the ones oppressing them. And the tax collectors not only were responsible for collecting the taxes, but they also got rich in the process, keeping some portion of their neighbor's tax payments. And some estimate that the taxes at the time were close to 90%. So imagine April 15th, you get up and you go to your neighbor who works for the government and you give him 90% of your income and you notice the new boat in the driveway or the new pool. You're like, 
So, uh, I don't think I like that guy. Okay, sinners. All right, let's look at this group, sinners. Essentially, anyone who failed to keep the Jewish law strictly. Maybe stop trying to worry about every little requirement. Or those who were unable to keep the law if they even wanted to because of sickness or disability, or maybe they couldn't afford to buy the animals they needed to sacrifice to, to wash away their sins. Now, don't you love how essentially Luke is using air quotes around sinners, right? And Jesus is hanging out with these people. Luke thinks that's very important for us to know. So Luke tells us this story that Jesus shares with these tax collectors and sinners, these outsiders, right? The shepherd has 100 sheep. One goes astray. So he loses one. He still has 99. That seems like plenty. That's good enough, right? But the shepherd isn't satisfied with good enough. His character doesn't settle for good enough. So he goes after the one lost sheep, and he looks, and he looks, and he probably calls it, and he whistles. He searches his whole property until he finds it. He stops at nothing to pursue this lost sheep. And when he finds it, he doesn't discipline it. He doesn't sacrifice it. He celebrates its safe return. He tells everyone who'll listen. He gathers them. He gathers them up, right? You can see this crazy shepherd walking around. Hey, I got the sheep, right? Okay, Bob, we get it, right? You found your sheep. You know, you left a whole field of 99 out there to go chase after the dumbest one. But okay, Bob, got your sheep. And Jesus tells them this crazy pursuit and rejoicing is what it's like in heaven when one sinner, no air quotes, repents. Jesus wants them to know that however lost they feel or how dumb some of the things they've done may be, if they will turn around and essentially say they're tired of the way they've been doing things and they want to try a different approach, the approach that Jesus is trying to tell them about, heaven will rejoice like crazy Bob the shepherd. I can see Will Ferrell in that role, right? He's... <laughs> He's running around. He may be naked. I don't know. He's running around screaming, I found my sheep. Um, okay, but just in case they don't get it, right, Luke tells another story, right, the parable of the lost coin, right, right after lost sheep, and we hear about the lost coin, Luke 15, 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Okay, a couple things here, right? One of these single coins is a day's wage, right? Now, if in fact taxes were 90%, that means she lost the coin she's going to live off of, right? So she's searching for this coin. She has 10 coins. She loses one of them. She turns her house upside down looking for it, right? And she searches and searches. She lights a lamp. She searches carefully until she finds it. Again, she doesn't stop until she's found this lost coin. And then she too, like Bob the shepherd, calls everyone to tell them about how she lost this coin. Both the shepherd and the woman search and search until they find what is lost. I think Luke may be trying to tell us something about Jesus. And just in case these two stories don't drive the point home, right, he tells us this third story about the lost son. Okay, let's look at the younger son first. So the older son would have been entitled to the bulk of his father's estate when he died, right? So the younger son already knows he wasn't getting a huge share in his father's will. So he goes to him and he asks him for it. Now, give me what I want. And the father does. So the son takes his share and leaves and sets off for a distant country. So what's the son trying to do? Escape. 
right? He's avoiding some issue at home, avoiding problems with his father or maybe problems with his brother. Maybe he doesn't want to work in the family business, right? Maybe his brother says he's lazy, calls him silly, irresponsible. And the younger son may actually be believing some of these lies about himself. The younger son is believing the lie that if he finds he goes to a different place, he can get out of this situation. But the problem isn't usually the place we're in. The problem is avoiding addressing the issues in our lives. The problem with his father or with his brother or something else. So he goes off to this distant country. And when he gets there, what happens? He squanders his wealth in wild living. One translation says he wasted his fortune in reckless and immoral living. Anybody ever been reckless with their stuff? No hands. Right? And then a severe famine hits, and he's in need. Now, who do you turn to when you're in need? Right? Usually the closest, those closest to you. When you're a student, that's usually your parents. Right? Whatever problems you might have with your parents. When you're in need, you often turn to your parents. And when you're stuck with parents you can't count on or turn to when you're in need, you may turn to another relative or a teacher or a pastor or a friend's parent or another adult for help. And as we grow up, many of us will rely on friends or mentors because our parents aren't around anymore or we don't have great relationships with them, right? But we always, we need to find people that would surround us when we're in need. When I was in college, uh, one of my psychology professors invited me to his house one morning. This is going to be tough. Um, dang it. This happens every time. This time I kind of knew it was coming. All right, when I was in college, one of my psych professors um, invited us to his house one morning every week, me and a friend of mine and two other college students, um, for breakfast, um, 6.30 on Tuesday mornings. His wife taught in the English department, and she would cook us breakfast, incredible breakfast. I can taste the egg and sausage casserole. So we would eat, and sometimes we'd talk about a Bible passage, and sometimes we would just talk about life. And Doc would share his thoughts, his wisdom. And his wife would sometimes share hers. And to a college student living six hours away from home, where I grew up, their home was a place to come and rest, to get fed literally and figuratively and spiritually. This family took in students like this four at a time for 20 years. And I was the beneficiary of three years. They had two kids of their own. When the first was born, the doctor said she likely wouldn't live to school age. Um, she'd been born with a disorder that wouldn't allow her to, um, to develop normally. It was a one in a million thing. So then they had their second child, and he was another one in a million. Same disorder, same diagnosis. Kevin and Shar, they're in their 50s today, bringing joy and happiness to that community. Get it together. And generations of college students who had the privilege of knowing them. On Friday, I drove up to Kentucky to celebrate Doc's life, 
with a couple hundred others after he died last week following a six-year battle with Alzheimer's. And I hugged Mrs. Moulton tightly when I saw her, kissed her on the cheek. She's the tiniest woman, barely five feet tall, but she's a pillar of strength. And the way they raised Kevin and Shar, and the way she fought for Al throughout his journey, insisting they do something outside the house every day, the love and grace they showed each other over the years, even when he had to be lifted from his bed to his chair to the van. As a college student, I got to be a part of their home. I had a place. All right, whether we know it or not, the need we have to find a place, is the, that's the need we have to find this place we can call home. But even if we know that, we often don't admit it. And the younger son in this story is no different. Instead of going home, he hires himself out to a stranger in this distant country he escaped to. And he ends up feeding the man's pigs and envying the food the pigs eat. When he comes to his senses, he finally thinks of going home. When he comes to his senses, I read that as when he decided to get over himself. Sometimes the hurtful comments we hear from others can point us to reevaluate things about ourselves. What is it about me that leaves this impression with people? Is there something I need to do about that? Not is it true about me, but would I benefit from changing the way I approach some things? So maybe the younger son realized, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe my dad knew what he was talking about. Maybe I do need to be more responsible. You can hear it in his voice, right? How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. He's yelling that. But who's he yelling it at? Himself. So what does he do? He turns around and he heads home. But along the way, he beats himself up, right? I'm no longer worthy to be your son. He says to himself, he's rehearsing this speech he's going to give to his father. We do that, right? We mess up and we're in need of something. But before we can ask for what we need, we beat ourselves up to be worthy of whatever it is we're asking for. Instead of just asking. Many of us have done this. We have a mistake or we hurt someone we care about and we apologize, we beg forgiveness, we grovel. We appeal for mercy thinking the more we grovel or the sadder we look, the better chance we'll receive mercy. But when the son says this to his father, he doesn't even address the comment. He doesn't even address the comment. He just clothes the younger son in a robe, puts a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and kills the fattened calf, and they feast. I'm reminded of another story with Dr. Moulton. I can get through this one. I was a psych major in college. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and Doc, Dr. Moulton was the chair of the department. Now, one summer, I planned to knock out a couple credits taking this readings and psychology class. I actually still have some of these books that I, I could do it from home. Read 10 books and send Dr. Moulton a summary and some of my impressions, and I, and, uh, and I could get two credits. Seemed easy. But um, when I got back to school in the fall, I still had two books to read, and I didn't know what to do. I was a pretty serious student. But my friend Mark who some of you know, had a different relationship with school at the time. So I asked him what he thought I should do. And without thinking, he was like, just ask for an extension. I was like, wait, you can do that? That's not my relationship with school. 
And he said, sure, I do it all the time. <laughs> now, I don't know if Mark actually said that, but in my head, it sounds like something Mark would have said. So I went to Dr. Mullen's office, and I asked for an extension, and he said, sure. No chastising, right? No lecture about wasting my time all summer long. Just, just sure, just grace. And the younger son, right, he never actually gets back home. Before he can even get home, his father runs out to meet him and throws his arms around him and kisses him. His father is filled with compassion, not anger, not resentment, not disappointment, no finger wagging, no I told you so's. The younger son is asking, can I come back home? And the father is replying, I've been waiting for you to come home this whole time. All right, let's look at the father real quickly. He lets the younger son leave in the first place. He comes asking for this share of his inheritance, and the father just gives it to him. They don't even appear to argue about it. There's no discussion of the knockdown, drag-out fight about how stupid an idea this is. The son asks, and the father lets him have what he wants. Sound like free will? I don't know. But I suspect the father knew how this might play out, but he still lets him. That's one of the reasons I think he's out looking for him all the time when his son happens to return. He's been looking for him, waiting for his son to return, waiting for his son to turn around and come home. All right, let's look at the older son real quick. He's so serious and uptight and rigid, kind of like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were muttering about who Jesus was hanging out telling stories to. Of course, the older son is out in the field, busy working away as he did every day, out of obligation to his father or some cultural expectation of oldest sons. He's not looking for his brother to return. His brother isn't even a part of his family any longer in his mind. Why should he bother? Which is why he's so angry when the younger brother returns and his father has decided to throw this big party for him to celebrate this sinner who wasted his fortune with reckless and immoral living. The older son didn't realize that he could make himself at home in his father's love this whole time. He was so stuck in being the good son, he forgot or never grasped what it was meant to be a son. Now we ask the question, why did Luke write this story in chapter 15 here in the first place? He wanted us to see something about Jesus and what Jesus is offering us. He tries to do that first in the lost sheep story. Okay, you don't get that one. I'll give you the lost coin story. You don't get it there. I'll finally tell you the story about this lost son. Luke is trying to show us what being part of Jesus' family is all about, what it means to be lost and then found again by the one who will throw a party when we turn around toward him, when we come home. But another question to ask is why did this story endure? Why? Because we are all longing for a place to call home. On some level, we know home is more than a place. It's also a state of being where we can rest and find peace in the midst of chaos. And that's what I was able to experience in Wilmore at the Moldens all those years ago in college, 27 years ago. And that's what we can provide for others in our own home if we're willing. And I think, Jesus, I think Luke wanted us to understand that that place, that home, is what Jesus is all about. We don't have to do all the things correctly. We don't have to perform to be in. We just have to turn around and admit what I'm doing isn't working and ask the same question the younger son was asking. Can I come home?
And if you'll ask that question, I think you'll hear the Father's reply. I've been waiting for you to come home this whole time. Let's pray. Ministry teams will come up. Lord, I thank you for for pursuing us when we're lost. Whether we're lost because we choose to be lost or we're lost because we don't know any better. Because we're a dumb sheep. Lord, I thank you that you pursue and pursue until you find us. And that when you find us, you celebrate. You don't wag your finger at us. You don't chastise us. You celebrate. Lord, I pray that we would know intimately what it means to be at home with you, to be a part of your family. Lord, I pray that you would make that that a reality for each and every one of us in here. If there are people in this room that have never turned around to face you, I pray they would do that. For those who need to turn around again, do it. Do it as many times as you need to. He's always just waiting for you to return home. Father, we just pray that River City would be a place that sings out glory you reign and also provides a home for people. I thank you, Jesus, that we can be that. I just pray over each person here that as we go, we take you with us. We'd walk in your light. We love you so much, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.